Welcome to Free Church. My name is Anthony Trask. I am pastor here of this church. If you're joining us online, we want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us as well. And we didn't have church last weekend. It was Labor Day weekend. I hope that you had a fantastic time with family and friends. Our family was sick, and so we really didn't do much of anything. Uh, but what we did do, we did well. So um, I'm glad to be with you here today, though, for this uh, first Sunday. We're gathering together in the month of September, and traditionally, this time of year is when we start uh, a new year. It's not January, but the way that we do culture in the U.S., it kind of rotates around things like the beginning of school, uh, the beginning of football season, and the beginning of pumpkin spice lattes is typically when the year starts all over again. And so, happy new year, and fall is on its way and it is uh, smoky and hot outside to prove it. And so we're going to be talking the next couple of weeks just about where we are going this year as a church and kind of where we've been, what some things are that we would like to focus on will be. And before I start on our message today, which is just simply entitled, Come Home, I want to give a, a brief announcement. And then at the end of my message, I actually have quite a few announcements. But the brief announcement that I want to give is that on Monday, September the 26th, uh, we are hosting a um, kind of an informational meeting for the school that's going to start here at our Sunnyside campus that is called 100 Acre Academy. And just a, a few things I want to clarify. We've been talking about for about a year the desire to either start a private school or to have a private school that we partner with, um, not to make money off of, but instead to provide children in our church and in our neighborhood and our city and our community um, affordable ways to um, do private Christian education. And so we are going to be partnering with this amazing organization and school that has a campus in Staten and in Dallas, as well as a preschool in Dallas called 100 Acre Academy. And they will be starting in January. And so they're hosting this informational meeting on the 26th. And I, this is what I wanted to clarify. Some people are like, oh, we want to come and, and share ideas. And we want to come and see what we can do to build a school as a church. Um, that's not what this meeting is. It is uh, to learn about what 100 Acre Academy does. And they're going to uh, invite people, not just in our church, but anybody in the Salem community that wants to come to learn more about their school. And if you are interested in enrolling your kids in that school, we'll be partnering with them. They're going to be offering discounts to our members up to a particular level. Um, they're going to be hiring staff. And we know for certain that the school will be K through 3 this January, but it might go all the way up to 5 depending on how full the school gets. And so, again, that is on Monday the 26th, and that is at 6 p.m. We'll have some coffee and snacks here. Uh, but the staff, 100 Acre Academy, uh, would love to have you come learn more about their school. So that being said, uh, I want to talk today and next week and the week after that uh, about this idea of coming home. And this, this idea of being home, being at home, coming home, what home is. And so when you think of the word home, and this is a um, this kind of rhetorical question, so don't, don't answer out loud, especially middle schoolers. Just keep it to yourself. Um, what do you think of when you think of the word home? And you can maybe even whisper to your neighbor if, if you really can't help but share. What do you think of when you think of the word home? What comes to mind when you do think of the word home? 
Uh, my family was eating dinner the other night on, my cou- on the couch in our, our family room, and I invited my wife to come and join um, some of the rest of our family on the couch um, to eat dinner with us. And she's like, no, I- I'm comfortable over here. And I said, well, I just wrote in my message that what comes to mind when I think of being home is my family all together on one couch. And she continued to sit <laughs> in the recliner. Um, so that's one thing I think of when I think of home. I think of... Um, Laying in bed with my wife, that's what I think of when I think of home. I think of snuggling with my two dogs when I think of home. Uh, I, I think of eating meals with my extended family, my parents, my siblings, nephews and nieces and great nephews and nieces. Uh, I think about um, my hometown. People often think about the town that they grew up in. And the, the hometown that I remember is, is Salem, which is a radically different city now than it was when it was my childhood hometown. Uh, some of you think of holidays when you think of home. You think of nostalgia, things that remind you of being home. One thing that reminds me of home or that I think of when I think of home is just being in church. I grew up in church, and so being in church, singing familiar songs, that feels like home. And in fact, as Christians, we call church, we call it the house of God. It's, it's not real technically called that in Scripture, but it's an appropriate term that we use to describe church is God's house, the house of God. And Jesus says that his Father's house would be a house of prayer for all. When I think of home, I also think about being homesick. Homesick is not something I really ever felt until I I was later in my adulthood where I started to actually miss home when I left home to to go and travel or do other things, whether my family was with me or not, I started to feel homesick. It's a desire to be home. And then finally, when people think of home, they also think about um, the idea of being homeless. Homeless being without a home, or more specifically, being homeless is almost the fear of not having a home. So what does home mean? mean to you? To me, what does home mean to us? And biblically speaking, all of us have been created by God in his image, and we are to be at home with God, to be at home with our Father. So ultimately, home is where God is. Home is where God is. I often say, Heaven is where Jesus is. And so ultimately, our home is to be with God. That's where home is. It's where the Father is. It is is him with us and us with him. But due to our sin, due to my sin and your sin and humanity's sin, due to sin and rebellion against God, we find ourselves homeless. We find ourselves homesick, apart from God without a home, without the relationship with God as we were intended to have. But thanks be to God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, we are welcomed home. And we're welcomed home in God, to God. We're welcomed through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where our relationship with God is restored, where we are adopted into God the Father's family, We are filled with God's spirit. We are joined together with his body, with his house, the church, and we are destined for our true home with God for eternity in a new heaven and a new earth. 
And so now is the time in this life as we know it, now is the time to come home to the Father. It is time to believe in Jesus. It is time to trust in Jesus. It is time to follow Jesus, to serve him and to bring him glory and to invite those who are homesick and homeless to come home as well. Now is the time to live in freedom, a freedom that only Christ can give, a freedom from sin, hell, and death, free in Jesus Christ and free to live a life of fruitful obedience and repentance and service to others. So for these next three weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea of of coming home. We're going to be looking at the idea of inviting people home. And then finally, on the third week, we'll be looking at this idea of actually building our home so that it will withstand the storms of time. But today we're going to talk about the invitation to come home. We're going to talk to those. I want to speak to those today specifically who have relationship with Jesus. I want to talk to those who feel at home with Christ. I want to talk to those of you who are free in Jesus Christ. And I want to talk to you about those people in your life who are not. The people in your life who are not at home with Christ. The people in your life who do not know Jesus, who are not free in Christ or those in your life who have walked away from an active relationship with Jesus. And I want to talk with you today, and I I want us to talk today about our responsibility, about our duty to let those people know that they can come home. I want to talk about our responsibility to let people know that they are never too far away to come home to the Father. And I want to talk to you today about our opportunity to bring people home, to carry people to Jesus, even if that just looks like or means carrying people to Jesus in our prayers. So if you know Jesus, what I want to challenge you with today is that those who have life in Jesus don't want those they love to die apart from Jesus. Those who are free in Christ don't want those they love to stay in bondage, and those who are well don't want those they love to stay sick. No one who is home wants those they love to be homeless. No one who is home wants those who feel far away to be homesick. And those who are in that place, those who know Jesus, would do anything that they could to bring those in their lives that they love home back to Christ. And so the scripture I want to look at today is found in Mark chapter 2. And before we read through a couple of the verses in Mark 2, I want to read from a verse in Matthew chapter 4. We we find this account that we're going to read about today in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in the book of Matthew chapter 4, verse 24, as Jesus was beginning his ministry, it says this about Jesus as as he walked for those three years in what we call today the nation of Israel. It says, Jesus' fame spread throughout all Syria. And people were bringing Jesus all the sick. They were bringing him those afflicted with various diseases and pains and were bringing him those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, those who were paralyzed. And Jesus healed them. So word had gotten out. 
this Jesus who is saying a new thing, is doing a new thing, he's bringing a new kingdom, he's preaching this new message of repentance and turning to God and the kingdom of God being here and one that people could be a part of. And people were hearing about the free lunches, the healings from paralysis, the deliverance from demons, and people wanted to not only see what it was all about, but they wanted to experience it for themselves. And so as he's going about ministering, Mark 2 verse 1 says this. It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, Capernaum is a small town on the northern shores of the very small Sea of Galilee. Jesus grew up in the town of Nazareth, um, not too far to the west in the hills outside of the region of the Sea of Galilee. But his ministry headquarters for these next three years would take place right here in the city of Capernaum. And it says he returned to Capernaum after traveling It says, after some days, and it was reported that Jesus was at, what's the word? What's it say? Home. Jesus was home. You ever thought about while Jesus lived this earthly life and while he engaged in his short earthly ministry, it's almost strange to think about him having a house. That the word traveled that Jesus was home, not only in Capernaum, where was his home base for his ministry, but he literally was at his very home. Jesus is home. Now, it's pretty apparent, not, we don't know for certain, but Jesus's home was actually Peter's home because Peter lived in Capernaum. He lived with his wife and his mother-in-law, likely his children, But Jesus stayed there in Peter's house, and you can actually go and look with your own eyes at Peter's house today. It's still there. So if you think about going home, you can go and look at the house of Jesus where Jesus lived during this part of his life. And so home is where Jesus is. In this case, literally, Jesus is at his own home. And so in Mark 2, verse 2, it says, Many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And Jesus was preaching the word to them. So he's there to rest. He's there to to take an earthly break from this traveling ministry. But word gets out that he's home. If you've ever lived in a very small community before or in a neighborhood that is very tight-knit, sometimes when you come home from a trip, you kind of want to go home and stay unknown in your home, and you don't want a lot of people coming over because you want to rest and unpack. But here Jesus gets and settles in his home, and a crowd gathers around his home, and he doesn't waste the opportunity. He takes this interruption and uses it for his own purposes, and he preaches to them this exact same message, repentance, entering into the kingdom of God, following Jesus. The message of Jesus was his primary reason for being here. The message that he was preaching, which was about forgiveness of sins and acceptance to a relationship with God, this is why he was here. But the healing was something that promoted his message. The healing was something that proved and validated his message. And the healing was the outcome of his message. You see, all of us, when we hear and accept the message of Jesus, ultimately, healing is the ultimate outcome. We might not experience physical healing immediately, but one day in Christ, we will all experience 
this physical healing, and more importantly, a healing of our hearts. So verse 3 through 4, it says, they came. We don't know who they is, but we're about to learn. There's people there. It is crowded outside and inside of Jesus' house, and it says, they came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four other men. And when they could not get near Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. You probably heard this story, right? These guys that lower their friend down to Jesus. If you haven't, houses here in the first century Palestine region, as it was known and is known today, they, they were houses that had frames, but often had you know, stucco, stucco or mud walls. They often had thatch, um, straw roofs with clay over the top, but some of them had tiles as well. One of the other gospels says that they removed the tiles from the roof. Either way, they're disrupting the house of the Lord. They're disrupting God's house. They're tearing the ceiling off because they want to get their friend to Jesus, and there was no room for them to get near him. These four men were so desperate to get their friend to Jesus. They were desperate to see him healed. They were desperate to see him delivered and set free. And they did whatever it took to get him there. And they knew that if they could just get this man to the home of Jesus, they knew that if they could just get this man in front of Jesus and in the presence of Jesus, that he could be made whole. When Jesus saw their faith, verse 5, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. That's not why they're there. Their friend's paralyzed. He, he can't walk. But it says, when Jesus saw faith, some of you probably have recognized this before, but maybe this, this is something that will be a revelation for you today. It doesn't say when Jesus saw the paralyzed man's faith. It says that Jesus saw their faith. This is the they that brought their friend to Jesus. When Jesus saw the four men's faith, it could be implied that when Jesus saw the four men's faith and their paralyzed friend in which they were carrying, when he saw their faith, he said, son, first of all, let's acknowledge, that's pretty awesome he calls him son. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. When Jesus saw their faith, the friend's faith, he said, son, your, friend, your sins are forgiven. See, sometimes you have to carry your friends to Jesus. Sometimes you have to have faith for those that you love when they don't have it for themselves. Sometimes you just need to do whatever you can to get those you love home to God's house. Sometimes you just need to do whatever you can to put those you love in the presence of God. Sometimes you need to do whatever you can to lay them at the feet of Jesus. Detour here from what I was planning on speaking about. We we have some some friends 
an, an acquaintance, has a very large family who are now um, sitting around the, the bedside of, of their father as, as he dies. Uh, the man's lived a, a long life. The children are in their 30s and 40s and 50s. And they have been chronicling on, on social media this, this idea that they're, they're bringing God's presence to the bedside of their father as he dies. And they're, they're worshiping and they're reading scripture. And they're making sure that they are there with their friend, their very father and grandfather. They're there with him to usher him into the presence of Jesus. Because in this state, though he has faith in Christ, um, and he has this personal relationship with Jesus. He, he can't go to them, and so they came to him. Sometimes you have to have faith and carry people into the presence of Jesus, whether they know Jesus or not. Sometimes you have to do whatever you can, and you have to have faith that Jesus will call these people home. You have to have faith of these people that you're bringing to Christ, that he will heal them from their greatest ailment. And the greatest problem, the greatest ailment of this man who was paralyzed was not his paralysis. His greatest problem was actually sin. The greatest ailment that this man has is not a physical illness. It is a heart issue. His problem is sin, and only God himself can forgive sins. Now, don't read into this passage too much, because you could look at this passage and say, oh, the reason he's paralyzed is because of something he did. The reason he can't walk is because he did something horrible and God was punishing him. You see, all physical ailments are a result of sin as a whole. Sometimes our ailments are a direct result of specific sins, but I would even say not often. We don't need to know why this guy was paralyzed. He was just paralyzed. Regardless of the why he was paralyzed, he had a much bigger issue than the paralysis, just like I have a much greater issue than any physical symptom I have. The greatest issue you and I have is not illness, but it's sin. The condition of this man's soul was more important than the condition of his legs. So some of you who have faith in Jesus, some of you who are free in Christ, some of you who know Christ, some of you who would say, I'm at home with Christ, you have some people in your life that you need to be desperate to get into God's house. You have some people in your life that you need to be desperate to get into the presence of the Holy Spirit, and you have some people in your life that you need to be desperate to get them in the presence of God where the gospel will be proclaimed and they can sit under the teaching of God's word. And you might think of some of these people now and what you think about when you think about these people, which we're a part of as well, you think, oh, I know about this friend who's depressed. I know about this friend with the addiction. I know about this friend with sexual confusion. I know about this friend with relationship drama and crisis and family problems. And you think that that's why they need to come to Jesus. And it is, but those are just little symptoms. The actual illness and issue that they have, just like yours, is sin. And when someone finds freedom in Jesus, and when someone finds forgiveness of their sins in Christ, the symptoms in their life become secondary. 
And God who does and who did forgive them of their sin can heal their physical symptoms as well. But I I was sharing with a friend this week that, that I have experienced extreme depression before and I have experienced physical illness and pain. And I would take physical illness and pain any day over extreme depression and anxiety. Our need of our hearts is greater. And if Jesus can heal our hearts, I too believe that he can heal our bodies, our minds, the physical symptoms that we have. See, I believe that you and I have some friends who have given up, that you need to muster some faith for. You may have had some friends who have given up that you need to gather community around because you have a duty to let them know that they can come home. You have a responsibility to let them know that they are never too far. That their situation is never too dire. You can come home. And we can talk for days about why people feel uncomfortable coming back to God, but we can talk even more days about why people are uncomfortable about coming to God's house, the church, and there's all sorts of reasons And as a pastor, I have the opportunity and privilege to perform weddings and funerals. And sometimes even walking into a church for a wedding is too much for some people. And people will make these comments that they think are funny, but it actually is sad. Like, well, if I walk into the church for a wedding, I'm going to burn up. It's like, no, you're never too far. You're always welcome. You can always come home. You're never too far. Your situation's never too dire. You've never done too much, but you can't come home. So Mark 2, 6, it says, now some of the scribes, the the Pharisees, the other gospels say they were sitting there and they were questioning in their hearts. They had a critical spirit. You and I, God has called us to think critically about things. He has not called us to have a critical spirit. There is a difference. These Pharisees have this critical spirit. And they were saying to themselves, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can, for, who can forgive sins uh, but God alone? See, what they don't realize is that Jesus is God in the flesh. And Jesus is about to show them that you're right. No one can forgive sins but God alone. And by the way, that's me. He's about to tell them and show them and reveal it to them. So in verse 8, it says, Immediately Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they question within themselves. If you want to have Jesus come to a party, just know he's not just eavesdropping. He's listening to your inward thoughts as well. It's like Jesus can really kill a party, and he can also turn water into wine. It's both. And so he's like, whoa, this is good, but whoa, this is this a lot. So immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they question to themselves, he said to these guys, why do you question these things in your hearts? Whoa. You know, you read my text? Yeah, I I read it. Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? Or is it easier to say to this paralyzed man, get up and walk? Now, this is uh, admittedly confusing. But it is easier to say to someone, your sins are forgiven, because if you say to someone, your sins are forgiven, guess what there isn't? 
There's no way to prove it. There's no proof. You can say your sins are forgiven, and everybody could say, oh, that's wonderful, but I can't prove if someone's sins are forgiven. And so Jesus says, I can say to this man, your sins are forgiven, and that's simple because it's arbitrary. It's something that, that you could never know. Or is it easier for me to say, rise up and walk, and they're like, oh, man, he's got us, because it actually is easier for him to say your sins are forgiven, because clearly we know this guy. He's been paralyzed for years, and he can't walk, and so nobody can say that. So just like no one can forgive sins but God, no one can heal paralysis but God either. And so to prove that he is God, to prove that he can forgive sins, Jesus does something impossible but observable to prove both. I I can heal and forgive. So verse 10, Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, so that you might know that I have authority on earth to forgive sins, Jesus said to the paralytic, to the man who is paralyzed, who's laying there paralyzed, lowered from the roof, his friends, and I actually never thought about this, his friends weren't down there, they're like looking down, they're looking down from the roof. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go, there's that word again, go home. Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose, and immediately he picked up his bed, and he went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Let's wrap this up. This man's friends, the love, the desperation, the patience, the persistence, and the faith brought their friend to Jesus. Jesus forgave his sins, Jesus saved his soul, and Jesus healed his body. All is this beautiful gift of God's grace. He didn't deserve it just like you and I deserve nothing from God. It's a wonderful gift of God's grace. And the four men let him down, and they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus saw their faith, and Jesus forgave his sins, and Jesus offered healing But if you stop and think about it, the man who was paralyzed had a role to play as well. The man who was lowered on a bed in front of Jesus, he too was a part of this equation. Because Jesus tells him, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. He could have said, that's not possible. I'm paralyzed. That's not possible. I can't get up. It may feel like something happened in my heart. It might feel like something happened in my body, but you're asking me to do something I cannot do. The man had to choose to respond. The man had to choose to believe. The man had to choose to have not just the faith of his friends, but he had to have faith that God could do something with him. And in that faith, He chose to stand up. Some of you are paralyzed in whatever. 
then you need to have faith to stand up. Listen, say, I've forgiven you. Now stand up. Do something with it. He had to have faith to stand up. Not only did he have to stand up, it's strange. He had to pick up his bed. It was like almost a sign of like, get it out of here. You don't need it anymore. Pick up your wheelchair and get out of here. Stand up, pick up your bed, walk away. What was he walking away from? He was walking away from paralysis. That's an interesting play on words, right? Walking away from paralysis. He was walking away even more so from sin. He was walking away from being homesick. He was walking away from being homeless. Now he had a home in Christ. So walk away. And he did. You see, Jesus is looking for the faith of some friends to bring those they love to Jesus. But when the ones that they love have an encounter with Jesus, they have to place their own faith in Jesus. They have to choose in that faith to receive the gifts of God's grace that he gives. So my encouragement and challenge for us is you can bring someone home, but only they can choose to make it home. You can take them home, but they don't have to stay. You can take someone home to the Father, but ultimately they have to choose if it's home for them or not. You see, last verse here is not found in Matthew or Mark, but Luke. There's a part of the account that only Luke mentions. Before the four men were ever introduced to this story carrying their paralyzed friend, it says this about Jesus that day in his house in Luke 5.17. We'll put that up on the screen and let's just kind of look at that as I, I read it aloud. The power of the Lord was with him to heal. Mark doesn't mention that. Matthew doesn't mention that, but Luke does. Luke is giving a foreshadowing of a what's about to happen. The the power of the Lord is present to heal. Now, the power of the Lord is always present with Jesus to heal. Would you agree with that statement? Always. The power of the Lord is always present with Jesus to heal. You just have to make room for it. No matter how crowded it may seem, you have to make room for it. Those guys had to make room for the power of the Lord present to heal. They, They had to literally make room. And in this house, now we talk about free church, this house. In this house, we will acknowledge that the power of the Lord is here. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we are committed to making room. The Pharisees missed out on the power due to their critical spirit. But the friends of the paralyzed man had faith that Jesus could do all things. And they made room in the crowded house for Jesus to heal their friend. And their friend made room in his heart to receive the power of the Lord and to put his faith in Jesus. Typically on these vision weekends, we're like, these are the great things we're doing as a church. And 
I don't really have that for you today, but here's what I do have. Our vision, my vision as the pastor of this church for this year, is to make this house a house that makes room for the power and presence of the Lord. It's to make room for God to move. Make room for God to move in people's lives no matter how crowded our lives are. To make this house a house you can bring those you love to, where you will know that the words spoken in this house will always proclaim the gospel and that we will always give an invitation to respond and we will take every opportunity to invite people to come home to Christ. So I'm asking you to bring everyone you know to this house to encounter the power, forgiveness, and healing of Christ. So who will you bring? And if free church isn't your home and you're just like visiting today and you've got a home church, you need to bring everybody you know to that church too because this should be the vision of every church. Bring people you know home to hear the message and invitation to come home to Christ. So what do you need to do to make room in your heart? As Ladina said two weeks ago, what do you need to do to get the house ready? What do you need to do to make your house ready to invite those you love home? What room do you need to make in your life? What room do you need to make in your schedule to invite your friends to come home? And next week as we gather and as you do bring friends to come with you, what we're going to do is we're going to share the story of the prodigal son. Those who have walked away from the Father's house, those who have never known the Father's love, presence, or been at home, and we'll invite them to come home. Invite them to put their faith in Jesus Christ, not to be part of a church, but to be a part of the body of Jesus Christ. Who will you bring? How will you bring them? So I want to just point out, with that being said, because the vision is to make room this year, to make people home, to let people know they're never too far. Here's just, I said I'd make a couple announcements at the end of the message, and here, here are those few announcements. Here's uh, four areas that we will make a priority this year. Number one is this, is, is to worship. That means be a part of services. Uh, on the screen there, it just has some different types of services that we have. We have our Sunday morning services at 9 and 11. We have our downtown service that meets on the fourth Sunday of the month at 6.30. Raise your hand if you were there for that first one. I was. That was amazing. We need a bigger place to bring people home to. That was, that was amazing. Um, we weekly have Free Generation Youth. That's a service as well. We're focusing on services where people will worship and be invited home. We're having some quarterly men's and women's events this year, and we'll have some quarterly young adults events this year as well. I don't have on that screen. So we're going to focus on these things, inviting people home, worshiping, making room for the presence of God in these services. And then uh, two, what we'll focus on is, is serving. How can you serve in your community? How can you serve in your workplace, in your school? But also, how can you serve here at Free Church? And so we want to invite you to join, um, I'm just calling it Team Free. Somebody named it that last year. It wasn't me. Uh, team Free. I like it, though. Um, 
So today, after our service, we have some opportunities for you to plug in and to serve. We're having a, a volunteer fair. One of our assistant pastors, Paula Lehman, will be in, in, uh, in the back with some of our leaders, and we've got uh, a drawing for you to enter to win a prize if you um, talk to someone about volunteering. And people always ask, what's the biggest need? I can tell you every church's biggest need is kids' ministry. Every single church in the universe, that's the biggest need. So that is the biggest need, but there's all sorts of opportunities. If you hate kids, don't, don't serve in kids. Um, there's all sorts of opportunities. So join team three. Our other opportunity and our other focus that we'll push forward this year is to connect. This has been the most difficult thing post-COVID is to connect with people. Um, we had a thriving small group ministry before um, COVID. It's been hard to get legs on it again. Uh, I've asked my friend Rick Herman to oversee what we're calling free fam, free fam, free fam, free fam home groups this year. And so we're starting in October. Uh, we'll have different home groups in different areas of our community, as well as even some men's and women's groups as well. And so we're going to put a gigantic emphasis on that. Within the next two weeks, we'll have groups for you to sign up for. There actually is one already you can sign up for on the app, but there'll be plenty more. Um, this is for connecting and ministering to each other. And so we want to invite you to connect. There are some things we'll do later throughout the year to connect, but we just want to focus on this right now. And then finally, um, we really want you to grow in your faith. This coming year, we want people to grow in their faith. Uh, our assistant pastor, Paula Lehman, had this uh, brilliant idea for basically a discipleship track that we've been working on throughout this year, which is just known as Freeway. When your name is Free Church, you can do all sorts of cheesy free names. And so Freeway is basically the way that we will be doing church this year. Um, that starts with an on-ramp lunch. Isn't that great? On-ramp. So an on-ramp lunch. We used to have new here, start here lunches. We now have on-ramp lunches. And so that is for people to find out how do we grow here, how do we serve, how do we connect. Once someone comes to one of those on-ramp brunches, uh, we'll be offering those between our two services, and it will go into our 11 o'clock service. We then are going to be hosting classes throughout the year. Um, first, in October, we're starting a class that's just called Foundations of the Christian Faith. So you can see, like, what's, what's the Christian faith all about? This winter, we'll be teaching a spiritual disciplines class. How do you grow in that faith? And then in the spring, we will be teaching a worldview class. What does it mean to have a biblical worldview? How do we interact with culture as a Christian? And we'll be teaching those classes each semester simultaneously as we add another and another and another. And over the next two weeks, we'll be giving you a lot more explanation about Freeway. We'll have registration for you to sign up for the first classes that will start in October. Those will be on Monday nights at 630. We'll have Freeway. Then again, spiritual disciplines, worldview, and lots of opportunity. Even in the spring, we'll be having some recovery and support groups as well um, so that people can really not just worship, not just connect and serve, but really grow in their faith to make room for people to come home. So would you bow your heads? I'm going to close this time in prayer. If you could just eliminate any distractions, set your phone to the side. Casey's going to come up and lead us in a, a song. But I'd like you to spend this next couple of minutes focused in on this invitation. If, if you're here today and you say, I, I don't know 
Jesus. I, I've never trusted in him, put my faith in him, believed in him. I, I don't consider myself a Christian. I we talked about this idea of being free in Christ. I have no idea what that means. What I want you to know is God loves you. It's not his desire that you would perish. It's God's desire that he could save you from sin and death. Out of God's love, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life that you could never live, I could never live. To die in our place for the sinful lives that we live. Jesus took on our punishment, took on the wrath of God for our sins. And he rose again from the grave, showing his victory over Satan, sin, and hell, and death. And so through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, your sins can be forgiven. Just like Jesus said to that man, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Your sins can be forgiven. Your relationship with God can be restored. That man walked away with a relationship with God. The Spirit of God begins to dwell within you as you make room in your heart for him, empowering you to do what you could not do on your own. And you're given everlasting life, a life that lives despite the fact your physical body dies. So you can have your sins forgiven, relationship with God restored, an everlasting life, and God gives that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he gives it to you freely, not through your church attendance, money you give, time that you serve, songs that you sing, or prayers that you pray. He gives it to you freely as a wonderful gift of grace. But like that paralyzed man, we must receive it in faith. We must rise up. We must pick up our beds and we must walk away. Walk away new at home with Christ. And so Jesus himself says, God so loved the world, he gave his only son. But whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So God's inviting you to believe in Jesus today. The Bible in Romans says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That means Jesus, you're in charge, not me. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that means I believe that his life, death, and resurrection made a way home for me. The Bible says you will be saved. And finally, Ephesians 2 in the Bible, it says, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, not a result of work, so that no one may boast, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So if you'd say, today, I want to put trust in Jesus. I don't have that all figured out, but I I want life in Jesus. I I want to surrender my life to him, walk away from who I am, dead in sin, and and be accepted by God. And I've never done that before. With no one looking around, would you just raise your hand as high as you can and say, today, I, I choose Jesus. I want relationship with God. I'm choosing to walk and follow Jesus Christ. And if you'd say, hey, I... I've done that, but I've kind of walked away. I've left home, and I need to come back home to a closer relationship with God. I would say, hey, that's me. I'd encourage all of you, return to a closer walk with the Father. Return home. 
And I'm going to pray that this week God will put people on your mind and your heart that you can invite to this church or the church that's your church home to hear the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. And we make a commitment this year to make room for his presence, to make room for an invitation, and to invite people home. So would you stand as we pray? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this story that's not just a story that we read, but it's, it's history. It's, it's your invitation for a man who was paralyzed to walk in freedom. God, help us to walk in freedom as we put our trust in you. Thank you for inviting us home. Help us to bring those who are homesick and homeless back to you and give them faith to put their trust in you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.